This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined, as always, by the birthday boy, Gabby Urrutia. We are here to discuss both football and recruiting. A lot to dive into here since our last podcast. Miami schedule uh, was released. The ACC released their schedule a week ago as we record this podcast. So we're going to get into it, kind of share our thoughts on the schedule, how it lays out. We also got some junior day uh, recap to go into with Gabby here loaded weekend of, of big time uh, juniors just rolling through on unofficial visits down in Coral Gables and then also to uh, Miami uh, in the area South Florida area it's called Battle Miami but the tournament is played in Broward uh, you know played host to some of the biggest uh, prospects in the country here with the seven on seven season starting to get rolling here in the off season. So we were out there and, you know, we'll share some of our thoughts on, on the performances and uh, some of the prospects that caught our eye or intrigue us here at this stage of the recruiting process slash evaluation process. So uh, before we dive into it here, Gabby, I just want to put out there uh, we're looking for new sponsors here for the podcast in this 2024 calendar year. Um, I think it's it's one of the better deals you can get bang for your buck wise if you're a small business owner, et cetera, et cetera. So reach out to Gabby via Twitter or me at, at my email at uh, lake.david at gmail.com and, uh, and we can discuss things and uh, see where see where things go. So, uh, okay, let's dive into it here, Gabby. And I want to start with the junior day because uh, it's a big event for for Miami. I mean, I would guess, and look, these aren't all UM targets or recruits or prospects, but when you include the battle Miami seven on seven teams that come through, it's probably somewhere close to, I don't know, 750 uh, players roll through Miami um, that participated both in battle and some of the junior day visitors just showed up for the junior day. Um, and so look, there's a lot of names to get through. Uh, you did an excellent job kind of covering the thing on inside the U.com. So I would, I would point everyone there uh, if they want uh, extremely detailed recap and thoughts on the junior day 
and uh, kind of the news or vibes that came out of that event. But I've asked you to give me seven 2025 prospects um, that it was big to get on campus for Miami, whether it was, look, Miami made a move here or, you know, I think this guy is now a significant target for Miami or I think this guy likes Miami a lot more after this weekend, et cetera, et cetera. So the floor is yours to take this wherever you want to take it with name number one. Who do you want to highlight? Yeah, first name I want to drop here is, is Zion Grady. He's a you know composite five-star edge rusher out of Enterprise, Alabama. Uh, a surprise visitor you know he wasn't on any of the the lists or you know wasn't wasn't necessarily passed along to me at least as a as a name I expected in so uh when I saw him walking into the facility with Jason Taylor and and coach Todd Stroud and 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 those types of guys that certainly uh you know was uh you know a, a surprise definitely and I, I thought it was a big deal that they were able to get uh, you know, Zion Grady on campus. I mean, he's a six foot four, 220 pounder uh, at 24 seven sports. We consider him the number three edge rusher in the country. And I think coming out of the visit, you know, uh, just being able to chat with, with Grady a little bit uh, on the back end of it. Uh, it's, it sounds like Miami certainly, you know, made a move there. And again, they, they're always going to search the, the country, uh, you know, to find the best available players. And it seems like Miami's, you know, very willing to go into, you know, the state of Alabama's backyard. I mean, Zion Grady has four crystal balls to the Crimson Tide uh, and, and try to pluck them away. And I do think they generated some momentum there and, and gave themselves uh, a window to continue to progress and, and, and take those necessary steps to recruit a guy like Zion Grady, who's, you know, coveted by everyone in the entire country. Yeah, I would say, you know, of course, with Nick Saban uh, retiring, now is the time to be aggressive in Alabama and really push for those push for those high end prospects. I think you know with with Saban there, of course, would have been tougher to pull a guy out of Alabama like Zion Grady. I think, and and look, Mario Cristobal, Miami, they're never going to shy away from these battles, anyways. But now I think your probability of of hitting one of those guys only goes up with Nick Saban out of. Alabama. It's going to be a battle, of course, any anywhere in the SEC footprint to pull a guy out of that area. But um, Zion Grady, big time visitor. And we know, like, look, in uh, 2024, defensive line was the point of emphasis. Um, that's never going to change for Miami in terms of good. you've got to stack two or three big time guys at that position, guys with big time potential at that position group year after year after year to keep things rolling. All right. Who's your second guy you want to bring to the discussion here? Yeah. Uh, second guy I want to bring up is uh, Tampa Zephyr Hills defensive back, or who knows what he is. Uh, DJ yeah. Pickett. Uh, wow. I mean, just, I mean, listed at six two one seventy. I thought he was going to be long, but he is significantly longer and taller than I thought. He and isn't six two. He's no way. He's pushing six five. He's Easily. probably somewhere between six four six five. He has to be. I, I saw him. I was like, "Where in the world do we see? Like, what's six two about this kid? Like, he's just extremely it's just an outdated number." Right, 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 know? right, right. But again, like, that was just I had never seen him really in person before, and I was just like, "Oh, like holy! Like, he's just extremely, extraordinarily long and uh, tall." 
And yeah, I mean, you know, one of the one of the top defensive backs in, in the country, a top 10 overall player, uh, considered the top ranked player in the state of Florida in the class of 2025. He was at Miami, uh, you know, really with a, with a huge group of family. I mean, it was uh, DJ Pickett. I believe it was his parents. He had grandparents there. Booker Pickett was in town, uh, who was his cousin, along with Booker Pickett's dad and Booker Pickett's younger brother, Cannon, who's like a 2026 offensive lineman. So like the Pickett family, this was a, a big, big weekend. And I heard kind of going into the weekend that, that a lot of people were joining him down. And I think it was just because, you know, DJ Pickett's down to five schools. And I think that this was a big opportunity for Miami to, you know, impress DJ Pickett's family, his people kind of sell all of them on the program. And uh, look, I mean, I, I think that the Hurricanes knocked that out of the park. Uh, you know, later on in the day, DJ Pickett was hanging out with Booker Pickett with the Darius Hayes, both those guys, you know, the two Miami signees. Uh, I think that there's a lot that, you know, I think there are reasons to feel good about where Miami's kind of at in that recruitment right now. Obviously, long way to go. A lot of major players, you know, still on the table. He's going to go see LSU this week. I think he just visited Clemson. Michigan's involved. Georgia's involved. You know, Oregon's involved. So, I mean, but I think Miami's in a really good spot right now. And I think that they've done a really good job establishing some momentum here uh, with DJ Pickett as, uh, you know, they continue to progress through or, or really kind of kick off the 2025 recruiting cycle. I think that they've done a, an excellent job in this recruitment so far. And I know that they did a great job with the family. So that's a huge, huge step. Yeah. The early vibes, I, I just get on DJ Pickett, just kind of the buzz um, early, early on for him. And look, this is, this is a big time prospect. There's going to be twists and turns. Everyone's going to be after him, but the sense is Miami kind of is the team to beat right now. So we'll see if, if they can maintain that, standing uh, during the whole cycle and reel them in. I think there is a lot of early momentum. Um, but again, this is going to be a marathon type of recruitment. And and look, we're going to talk about Battle Miami uh, players that caught my attention here later in the podcast. But while we're on the topic of DJ Pickett, he was out there competing. He was with a California team and uh, total freak show prospect. Uh, again, pushing 6'5". His frame isn't exactly skinny either. Um, he definitely has a frame that can probably get to 215, 220 pretty easily when he's in the college uh, strength and conditioning program. I will say out of this 7-7 seven and seven, uh, event, he held his own as a corner. Uh, he also made plays at wide receiver. He could legitimately play. Um, you know, I'm not advocating for playing all three positions at the college level, but if he wanted to focus on either one of receiver, corner, safety. I think he could get it done. Um, I think you go watch his huddle. He he plays all three positions. Um, he's a freak show talent. And um, again, like you were kind of alluding to, Gabby, I don't know what position he is, um, but whatever position he is going to play in college, he's going to make plays. And quite frankly, like I do think he probably could be a two-way guy. Um with, you know, in the sense of like, probably focuses mainly on defense, but maybe he gives you 10 snaps on offense because of his big playability at wide receiver. So very impressive down at battle uh, in the seven on seven tournament. All right. Third name, who you got? Yeah, I'm going to go with Zayden Walker, the five-star linebacker out of Ellaville, Georgia, Schley County. Uh, this is the third time, I believe, that Zayden Walker has been on campus. He was down again with his mom and his dad 
Uh, again, my feedback I'm kind of getting off of that visit has been very strong. Like I, I think they had a really good sit down with Mario Cristobal with, uh, you know, linebackers coach Derek Nicholson. Uh, and I, I, my understanding is things went extremely well. Uh, Miami has been a, a true contender uh, for, you know, the highest ranked or uh, one of the top ranked players in the state of Georgia, a top ranked linebacker in Georgia. And of course, the country. Miami, yeah, yeah. And one of the best players in the country. I mean, he's a, number one ranked linebacker in the country, a top 10 player overall. And, you know, George is in the mix there. Florida State's in the mix. But Miami, absolutely, absolutely, uh, you know, in the thick of that one. So I, I think that Miami still, uh, you know, is continuing to gain ground in that one. And I think that there's some confidence about, uh, you know, just that they have a legitimate shot at, at landing a guy like Zayden Walker. So, uh, again, uh, getting getting really good, strong feedback coming out of that visit. All right. Who else you got? Yeah, let's go uh, Jaden Perlotti, another Georgia-based linebacker. I mean, I think just kind of a another one who I think is just a really, really impressive talent. Uh, he's committed to the Georgia Bulldogs, uh, but Miami wants to get him, you know, w- really wants to add him to this class. Uh, they're battling, again, a bunch of other people, Florida State's in there, uh, you know, the Alabamas, the, you know, Tennessees, all the, you know, SEC schools, main programs nationally. Uh, but he's been down at Miami a couple times now. He came on Friday Friday evening, I would say by himself, he was playing with that California power team uh, by himself. And, uh, you know, he was playing with that California team, but still came down to ca- to campus, got down. I think he Ubered down to campus uh, to spend some more time. Some like, you know, one-on-one time with Derek Nicholson and, uh, you know, some of those Miami defensive staffers and coming out of the visit, you know, he just kept talking about how, how great of a relationship he has with the hurricanes, with coach, with coach Nicholson. So again, I think that this is one Miami probably have to chip away at long-term, um, you know, one way it was described to me was kind of similar to like the Adarius Hayes, you know, committed elsewhere early. Uh, but, you know, Miami plans to be in that one, you know, through the finish line, uh, kind of stay continuing to chop wood and chop wood and and see where things are kind of at, you know, in December when it's time to put pen to paper. So I think Miami's definitely taking a, a, a long term, you know, they're making a long term investment into the Jaden Perlotti uh, sweepstakes. But, you know, they feel like he's one they kind of got to have in that linebacker room. And these are big time prospects and Miami's again, Mario Cristobal not shying away from big time recruiting battles. All these guys you've named are basically like Alabama, Georgia targets as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's the way it should be. If you want to, if you want to win at a high level. All right. Your fifth name. Yeah. I'm gonna go with Dallas Wilson. Uh, you know, talk, we talk about uh, big outside wide receivers. I mean, he looks to be all of six, three, uh, you know, 180, 185 pound range, uh, you know, from, from the Tampa Bay area, he goes to Tampa Bay tech, uh, you know, committed to Oregon. I, I think Miami feels, I mean, he he's, I, I would probably pretty confidently say that he's Miami's top wide receiver target in the class of 2025, just considering the need for a big outside mm-hmm. wide receiver type. Uh, I think that they're putting a premium on that style uh, that, 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 profile of wide receiver in this class of 2025 and Dallas Wilson is one that they they needed to get down on campus I I think Miami was back in the Tampa area uh on I think it was Monday or Tuesday I think it was Monday and uh you know I believe they probably swung by Dallas Wilson school I I know that they're going to continue to try to work in that recruitment uh you know he plays for the Miami based organization seven on seven organization in raw uh, and, you know, again, I think Miami's done a good job just with that with that organization and, you know, kind of having some 
you know, connects, of course, there. Uh, so I know Miami, again, wants to flip Dallas Wilson away from Oregon. And I think getting him on campus, it was his first time on campus. I couldn't believe that. But, that uh, you know, this weekend was his first time ever on campus. Miami talked about getting him back in for the spring. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. Yeah, and he was another guy, like you were saying, committed at the battle tournament. He was impressive playing for Miami Raw. He is he is a thick guy at the high school level. He probably, I don't know, 190, 195 now. It would be my guess just just looking at him. Um, and you're right. Miami needs that type of body in its wide receiver room. Uh, since arriving at Miami, you know, Mario Cristobal and the staff have done a good job of improving the speed and talent and explosive potential of that room. Uh, but they do need to start adding bigger bodied receivers because, you know, look, you want – when we talk about an offense being multiple – it's not only being multiple in system and scheme and game plan, it's being multiple in personnel type. And, uh, you know, when you're down in the goal line, near the goal line, or you have to take a shot downfield and you need a big bodied receiver to go make a play one-on-one -on -one against a corner, uh, you got to have that type of guy. And uh, in terms of the high school recruiting ranks, Miami hasn't landed a guy that's six three plus over the last two cycles. So uh, Dallas Wilson would be a big time addition. But as you were saying earlier, again, Mario Cristobal, Miami, don't shy away from these type of battles, but he is committed to Oregon. Okay. Number six player you want to highlight is. Yeah. I'm going to go Port Charlotte down by your neck of the woods, David uh, Port Charlotte's Myron Charles, uh, six foot four, 295 pound defensive tackle. Uh so while this battle Miami seven on seven is going on, there's also, you know, this, I don't know how many people are aware, but there's like a new five on five thing that's kind of going on uh, where they kind of get offensive linemen and defensive linemen. They do one on ones and they call it battle of the trenches this weekend. So they had one of these events and the same California power team that rosters Jaden Perlotti and DJ Pickett. Uh, you know, they have an offensive and defensive line group. Myron Charles was on a def was on the defensive line group of this Calif California power organization. He came by Miami with all of those guys, again, loaded group of offensive and defensive linemen that were there with that group as well, which, you know, we haven't really even, you know, touched on just because it was such a crazy weekend. But Myron Charles is 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 one of the prizes of uh of, of that defensive line group that kind of rolled through and and Miami highly, highly uh, you know, covets uh, Charles again. You you kind of just look at the measurable six four two ninety five. Looks every bit of that. I mean, when we when we're talking about transfer portal defensive tackles, right? We've always looked for guys that are this size. He's this size as a high school junior, and uh, Miami thinks he's one of the best defensive tackle prospects in the entire country. Uh, he's not far against Southwest Florida. Um, you know, just probably a couple, you know, maybe two, two and a half hour drive away uh, from Miami's campus and uh, getting him back. Well, he, he said it was kind of like a reminder of, you know, all the, the really, you know, strong relationships he has with the Hurricanes. Miami went back on Monday, you know, flipped, turned that right into a, a school visit. So Mario Cristobal, a couple of those guys uh, went to Port Charlotte to visit with Myron Charles now that they can actually meet with the 2025s in January, which is a, a new rule that they can kind of actually talk with them and communicate them at their schools, uh, you know, earlier on in the process, which is a big deal. So Miami went in and did that with Myron Charles on Monday. And, uh, you know, I, I think Miami, again, just continuing to pro make progressions in that recruitment. I think, you know, the, it's, I think it's going to be a nice little in-state 
uh, you know, recruiting battle between Miami, Florida, Florida State, all three of those guys heavily involved. He's also talked about, you know, going out west, seeing some schools like USC, UCLA with that California power organization. Talked about Oregon and Oklahoma, Ohio State, Georgia, schools like that. So, again, this th- th- these are the waters Miami's comfortable swimming in these days. And I, I they're going to have as good of a shot as anyone with Charles. Yeah, the early impression I have here is is in-state, like you were saying. And, and to me, just again, it's early, so a lot can change. But to me, it, it seems like it's going to be one of those Miami-Florida State battles. Would you push back on that? No, I, I definitely would. And I think that it could easily end up being one of those really, really tight ones. Kind of a kind of a space eater type of defensive tackle that has some ability to get into the backfield as well. So um, again, you got to stack talent on the D-line. And this is a somewhat local guy that um, checks a lot of the boxes Miami's looking for in a defensive lineman. Okay, the final guy from the 2025 class you want to highlight is? Yeah, I'm going to go another wide receiver. I'm going to go Jamie French out of Jacksonville Mandarin. Uh, You know, again, I think he... I think he was expected to go to Alabama. He was committed to Alabama. He's one of those guys where I think Miami has a window now because of the Nick Saban retiring. Uh, I think so does Florida State, so does Ohio State. Uh, Jamie French put Miami in a top three. That also included those other two programs. And, you know, I was talking with Derek Plaz, you know, on Saturday, you know, just kind of hanging around talking with, you know, Jamie French's former teammate. And he's, you know, working it, working on Jamie French a ton you know, telling him about all the benefits of this offense. I talked to Jamie French on Sunday at Battle Miami. He was te- he was laughing, telling me how much Derek's in his ear, but he's a guy that definitely sees the production, right? I mean, you can't deny the production that Miami's had with their wide receivers, especially, you know, in the first year of that Shannon Dawson offense. Uh, I right. think he sees opportunity to be able to make plays in this offense. That's something that's really important to him. And look, I think getting him back on campus w- was a big deal. I mean, Miami back, I mean, I think this was... I think one of the, I think this was like the first summer camp circuit I I was ever on while I was on this uh you know beat uh Jamie French was a really young guy who yeah, he's competed been at one of those campuses yeah and and like Rob Likens was the first was the first uh, power five co- uh, coach to ever offer Jamie French as a youngster, you know, I think I made his profile. So Miami is a school that I think kind of holds a special place in his heart just because they were the first school to offer him. And I think now that they're giving him kind of a reason to look here, I think the hurricanes are going to be uh, a mainstay, you know, everyone's looking at Ohio state, everyone's looking at Florida state and, you know, rightfully, you know, he's definitely strongly considering those two schools, but Miami's definitely making a strong run and, and they view him as one of their top uh, wide receiver targets in the class of 2025. So I would expect, the Hurricanes to continue to to build momentum. Jamie French talked about getting back down in the spring. Again, wouldn't be surprised if if we see him around sometime. Uh, you know, watching this this Miami offense in a few months. And he competed with the South Florida Express at the uh, Battle Miami Seven on Seven tournament. He's he's just a steady guy that doesn't really have a noticeable flaw, um, but he is a guy that runs good routes, understands how to get open, can attack the ball as well. He might not be like a burner burner, but he is, he isn't slow by any means. So, uh, I, I definitely think he fits, uh, you know, that five-star billing and, uh, probably the best wide receiver in the state of Florida. That's probably safe to say early in this cycle. All right, Gabby, I, I also asked you just cause it wasn't juniors that, that came through is also some underclassmen and, and look, it's early. Um, but still, I asked you for like two names, whether that's 26 or 27 uh, year recruits that the fans should know about that were down on campus to this weekend. Who who do you got? 
Yeah, the first first one I got for you is uh, Jaira Edwards. He's a uh, you know top one hundred safety out of uh, Saint Francis Academy in Baltimore. Uh, you know he's a guy that spent uh, he he was on campus on Friday on his own. You know, kind of taking a tour of Miami. Uh, and then he was back, like, I think even like late Saturday going on, like, you know, hanging out again with Jamal Dye and, uh, you know, Michael Foreman, a lot of a lot of those defensive back staffers, uh, you know, just getting another kind of more intimate, uh, you know, look at the program outside of all the battle Miami seven on seven stuff. Uh, you know, I think Miami is an early team to watch here, you know, for this, uh, you know, a top talent in the 2026 class. He was kind of playing some like what, like, like kind of nickel safety for that mm-hmm. raw Miami team. He's a big, thick. Uh, kid i mean listed at six foot one 194 pounds honestly not really pushing back on either of those david i'm not sure if you would but um i think that he's you know definitely a a a, a young you know physically developed uh you know back seven defender who who i think has some uh some talent for sure right yeah he was impressive for miami raw uh definitely a physically de- developed 2026 guy as you were alluding to so uh, and he's on the Miami Raw seven on seven team. So definitely an early name to know who else. Yeah, I'm gonna go Jabari Brady. Uh, I feel like he hasn't been around a ton. So he's the number two wide receiver in the class of 2026, uh, six foot one and a half, 185 pounds, just transferred to Shamanad Madonna, which, you know, of course, we know is a powerhouse program here in South Florida. Uh, you know, I, I Miami, I think, has has. I just don't feel like he's been around as much. Maybe some of these guys have as, you know, when they were kind of younger and stuff. So I think getting Jabari Brady down uh, was a big deal, getting him to spend some more time around campus. I think, uh, I think Jabari Brady getting him, you know, just having him around is a big deal. Uh, You know, just kind of along those similar lines, Calvin Russell, uh, the 2026 out of Miami Northwestern had a huge uh, weekend at Battle Miami. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he, he was at Miami, I believe on Friday as well. Like he's a big, he's a big deal. Um, another receiver they're excited about Xavier McDonald out of Mississippi and want to drop a 2027 name on you, uh, Ethan Feaster. Um, this just came out of the top of my head. So I have to look up exactly where he's from, but people think that he, Oh, so he's from DeSoto in Texas, six foot two and a half, 185 pound, 2027. So I guess he's currently a high school freshman. Um, he's just like considered like the next big thing. Like, I I don't know. People just talk. I think they call him booby booby feaster. He's already got big time offers. Yeah. He's already got a ton of big time offers. And, you know, I think he's just like the guy, like, I mean, they're just talking about this kid. Like his name was just buzzing all weekend and he was a 2027. So I think he's definitely one to, to kind of keep in mind too long-term. All right. Before we move on just to battle Miami performance thoughts, um, you know, I want to touch on this. So last cycle, right, the 2024 cycle, Miami's point of emphasis was on the defensive line recruiting. They weren't shy about putting that out there. Like, hey, we want to we want to land the best defensive line class in the country. And I like that they do that. I like that they put that kind of accountability slash pressure on themselves to deliver um, on a goal like that. I want to ask you, and look, maybe maybe this hasn't even been formulated yet to this point, but is there? do you have any clarity or any vibe or any sense on what the emphasis will be in 2025? Yeah, I mean, I think... I think just considering where Miami's kind of at from like a recruiting operation right now, I do think that 2025 and, and we talked about it, like defensive lines always going to be a priority, right? You got to stack elite defensive mm-hmm. linemen, offensive lines always going to be a priority. So I think 2025 is a year where I think that they can go, you know, I think they got to go big. They got to shoot high at multiple positions. And I don't know that this is like necessarily the case, but 
Um, you know, just from my vantage point, it feels like 2025. Like, I think there's a big window to have a really strong defensive backs class, right? I mean, we, yeah. we mentioned, they, we need, talk, they need that. Yeah. Corners you know, we, in particular. Right. And, you know, we talk about momentum's building your, you know, early momentum with a guy like DJ Pickett, um, you know, and I think that they've done a good job of establishing, you know, some, some, I think they've just, you have a good job of just recruiting some other guys name offered. Who's, you know, I think considered the, you know, number one, like, you know, one of the top cornerbacks in the country out of the state of Alabama, uh, Onus Conan Bonnie, who's a, you know, a long six foot, 280 pound kid who I thought performed well on Sunday when I watched him play mm-hmm. for South Florida express, uh, JV on holiday, a cornerback out of Texas, uh, committed to SMU who Miami really, really likes, had him on campus, got him, got him down and, you know, got some, his mom came down, all that stuff. And then you got local guys like Chris Ewald, Ben Hanks, Amari Wallace, uh, Greg Zay, Thomas, um, Bryce Fitzgerald. I mean, these are all guys at a position of need who are just in that category alone are good enough to play at Miami and, you know, are all in that, that Dade and Broward County, uh, you know, kind of, you know, corridor, however you want to call it. Um, You know, they're all in that window of where you can go out and, and, and get those types of guys. So um, I think that it can be a really big defensive line, uh, defensive backs class. I think it needs to be a priority. Like you said, David, especially at corner, I think safety to all these guys, I would just, I would just collect as many of these bodies as you possibly can and, and see where it goes. And honest, and honestly too, I think it could be a really good linebacker class. Like, I mean, yeah, you know, it seems I, like they're in on some guys. Yeah. I mean, it seems like they're putting a heavy, heavy emphasis on some linebackers. I mean, I got some really insane uh, Elijah Melendez feedback just as far as like how Miami kind of views him. He's he's huge. I mean, he's again, you talk about just the what just passing huge the in terms test. of muscle mass, Me- muscle mass. Yeah. He's like yeah. a big, thick, you know, strong kid um, that, you know, again, I mean, he's probably like six foot one, six foot two ish. I mean, pro- I'd probably say closer to six foot two. Um, and then just has just a really strong, big, thick dude. Uh, you know, they talk, they're gushing about the way he can run and how strong he is in the weight room. I think they're talking about like how he, he can like bench press like 450 pounds or something crazy like that. And he could also run not stiff or anything like that. And then we talked about Zayden Walker and the Jaden Perlotti. And then you also got guys on campus this weekend, like Nathaniel Owosu Botang, who's an, uh, you know, top 10 linebacker in the country. I got like Gavin Nix, who I think is shooting up the board after a strong junior year and then you have even have a guy like uh you like uh ej marcelin uh, ezekiel marcelin at miami central uh who the hurricanes are super high on as a, as a local linebacker guy uh so you know i think i think linebacker and uh the secondary uh you know again that that back seven i think is uh i i, I think i think those guys are are a huge huge priority uh in this class of 2025 yeah i mean look i think it's fair to say corner has kind of been the one position group that hasn't been consistently delivering elite high school level prospects like it should, uh, you know, getting a guy like Damari Brown, big time player like that, but uh, was good. But you gotta, you gotta get two, two or three Damari Browns a cycle. I mean, you look at, you look at Alabama, you look at Georgia, uh, you look at Ohio State. Those are the programs you're trying to recruit like. And uh, at a lot of the positions Miami is, but at corner, those those programs land two or three Damari Brown types every year. And so that's just what you got to do. Uh, stack talent uh, and you got to level up your probability of hitting on at least one of those guys per cycle. And then you have a really talented secondary. Okay, so... 
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's move on to just Battle Miami thoughts in terms of how players performed. And Gabby, we can start with Miami's quarterback commit, Luke Nickel. Um, and look, I'll admit he was better than I expected. Um, he led his seven-on team. He played for the the Cam Newton team, uh, C1N, and uh, led them to the championship. So they his team won the tournament. And look, there was something like, I don't know, 40 or 50 seven-on-seven teams out there. It was, it was a very competitive field of teams from all over the country. Um, and, and Luke Nickel... Just in terms of performance, I think he was the best quarterback in the field. Now, that's not to, we're not talking about like projecting as a prospect guys with traits, et cetera, et cetera. But just in terms of the way they performed and the command they showed out on the field, Luke Nickel was to me the best quarterback out there over the weekend. Um, And again, Kind of what stands out to me is he does seem to have that kind of it factor with the way he carries himself. I think his superpower, his dominant trait uh, as a player at this stage is is his ability to process quickly defenses and coverages. He does anticipate some tight window throws to the middle of the field and fits things in there at a high level uh, for a quarterback at his stage in the development Um and look, that's really important in like seven on seven because you can drive it down, you know, near the goal line. And that's where honestly a lot of these offenses kind of sputter out in these seven on seven tournaments. That wasn't really an issue for Luke Nickel, who again sees those windows, anticipates his receivers running into those windows and can hit them. I do think his arm is strong enough 
to push the ball downfield. It's 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 not the strongest arm, uh, but he doesn't have a weak arm by any means. And I think as the the as he progressed uh, stacking games in the tournament, you could see his you could see his confidence grow um, in terms of making those throws deep and outside the number. Um, I'll admit after this weekend, I, I am kind of a fan now of nickel. I can see it. I can see how he projects to the college level. And I think he can be a productive quarterback if you surround him with some big time talent at the skill spots, which Miami is doing, uh, in these first two recruiting cycles. And I'm sure they will do it again in the 2025 cycle. Cause that's what Mario Cristobal does for me. Gabby, just like the low hanging fruit comp for him would be like Brock Purdy, just a guy who has that it factor, can distribute the ball quickly, efficiently, um, and processes at a very high level. So again, I, you know, that is kind of a lazy comp, um, but I do think it's it's pretty apt. What I know, and you got to watch Luke as well, Gabby. What were your impressions of him? Yeah, I, I was impressed. I mean, for sure. Uh, you know, again, I think the only got a couple of live exposures to him. You know, he, he threw up Miami last summer, but I think that's a hard situation. I think that's a hard environment for maybe just someone like me. I don't know, maybe me personally uh, to just kind of like totally evaluate a guy just because, you know, again, shirt and shorts inside a, an IPF, you know, with not a ton of things going on. Um, and then, you know, we watched him against, we watched him down here against Western. And I, I think the player that he was against Western versus what we saw, you know, this week or what I saw on Sunday, you know, for, for the, you know, one or two games that I actually got to watch him throw. I mean, he, he was, you know, definitely impressive. I mean, I think you talk about the arm strength. I think that was probably one of my concerns, but it's definitely less of a concern now. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, I, I think uh, you, you talk about the anticipation, uh, the ability to process. I think that that was evident. I mean, you, you saw that from him just again in those, though his ability to kind of deliver strikes like downfield. I mean, he threw a ball to Arian Concepcion, uh, you know, for, for a long touchdown, that was just kind of like, you know, right in the bread basket, man. I mean, just, just, just a great throw, just his ability to kind of push it a little bit. And yeah, you know, I think at the end of the day, he's accurate. Uh, you know, I love his demeanor, uh, the way he yeah. kind of carry the way he kind of carries himself. You can tell that he kind of has that chip on his shoulder. Um, you know, I think that he, you, you talk about that it factor and that's hard to like quantify, right? Like, what is that? But it just like, you kind of like know it when you see it. Um, and I do feel like he kind of has that. And, uh, Look, I mean, he has a Heisman Trophy winner standing behind him, a, for, a former number one overall pick. And I, I think that, you know, that I think having a guy like that, working with a guy like that, I think that helps, you know, just kind of help. I think it helps you elevate. I think that helps you take those I'll say this steps. too. I think that helps his development because, look, Cam Newton is is very involved with this team. He he's is extremely involved. He's calling right. the plays, it seems like, right? Yeah, he's and all he's about like it. he's coaching Luke. He's all about it. And, you know, look, I mean, while of course, like any player out there, Luke performed well, but he was not flawless. And so when he missed some throws that he shouldn't have missed, Cam Newton's going to let him know about it. And so I like that Cam Newton puts that pressure on him, forces him to respond uh, or, you know, it's a sink or swim situation. Right. And so that's what playing quarterback at the college level, especially at Miami is kind of about how do you respond to adversity and I like that Cam Newton puts that pressure on Luke, number one. And I do like how Luke responded to those. Because early on, his first game, you could tell there were some jitters, which is understandable. Like, it's the first seven-on-seven -seven event of the offseason. He's on Cam Newton's team. Um, 
and he missed some throws that he shouldn't have missed. Now he did settle down and was zipping it in there nicely from that point on. Um, but if you're nitpicking Luke, just areas to improve. And again, everyone has areas to improve. There's no such thing as the perfect player, you know, except for Patrick Mahomes. But Luke Nickel can improve with maybe throwing on the run some. Uh, there was some designed rollouts in his offense, and that's kind of where his accuracy struggled a little bit to me if we're nitpicking him uh, as a player. So I was very impressed by him. You know, Gabby, I think my opinion was kind of before seeing him at this tournament, my opinion was kind of like, I hope Miami takes two quarterbacks. I don't know if that's necessarily a huge need in this class anymore. I wouldn't be against it, but I do think like if Luke is your only quarterback you take in this class, I'm totally fine with that. Where do you stand on that? Yeah, I mean, I think after after watching him this weekend, I think my stance on him is totally like I was kind of pounding the table, like you know, I don't know about pounding pound the table, but I was like, look, you got to keep recruiting, right? Like you, you could explore you keep, options. Yeah, you could you got to explore everything else. You know, they're obviously going to see other quarterbacks. You know that, uh, you know that they're exploring the Husan Long Street out of California, right, Montgomery. You know, guys like that. Um, and I was just like, yeah, you got to keep recruiting. Like you have to hit quarterback. And unless you have an elite arm, uh, you know, you don't really shut it down. But I mean, I could see, and look, first of all, Miami absolutely loves Luke nickel and they're right. kind of pounding their, their chest this weekend. Like, yeah, it's a good eval. It was a great, yeah, great eval, good eval. And in the summertime, all that stuff, like they are, Miami's definitely pounding their chest at this point. And, but the, with the understanding that with the success that Luke has kind of, you know, accumulated that others are going to come around. And, you know, Luke told me that, you know, Georgia, Oregon, Florida State, Georgia Tech are a few schools that have kind of come knocking on the door a little bit. And, you know, he he right. did say that he's locked in with Miami, like he's fully committed to Miami. He is going to play his college football, uh, you know, at Miami. But uh, I, I do think that Miami, you know, has to kind of, you know, protect themselves in a way by just continuing to recruit because you don't really know what happens at the end of the day. Um but look, I think my I think Luke Nickel is Miami's guy, and I think that's who they want at the end of this thing. I think that's a you know this this is the guy they felt this is the guy that they felt like they were getting when they took him and brought him into throw and and all that stuff during the summer months. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think if I think right now Miami's plan is to roll with Luke Nickel and do their due diligence in case something you know unfortunately doesn't fall their way with Luke Nickel. But Luke Nickel is their guy. All right, so we talked about in, in the Junior Day Recap section, we already talked about DJ Pickett, the lengthy athlete out of Zephyr Hills. We talked about Jamie French. We talked about Dallas Wilson. Those guys all performed at a high level at the 7-on-7, uh, seven seven, so don't need to touch on them again. I want to go, Gabby, to you know maybe after DJ Pickett, Probably the guy that just impressed me the most with his just overall performance on the weekend. And that would be Vernal Brown, who played for Orlando Jones uh, High School, played with South Florida Express 7 on 7 team. And look, he's another guy, kind of like DJ Pickett. Like he's a total athlete. Like he could play corner, he could play wide receiver. Um, and, and I'm not saying he is the bet. He was the best prospect on South Florida Expl Express, um, though he is close to that. I think, but I do think he was their best player over the two days of this tournament. He's not the biggest guy. That's why you know he's maybe not the best long-term prospect. He's probably five ten, maybe. Um, but 
man, he is sudden. He is twitchy. Then you go watch his junior highlight tape, Gabby. And in terms of the plays he makes, there might not be a more fun highlight to watch in the state of Florida this cycle than Vernell Brown. Um, explosive plays as a receiver, explosive returns on special teams. He's a big-time corner, too, on defense, challenges receivers that he's going up against, uh, constantly getting PBUs and interceptions. Um, he he might end up being, Gabby, just like my personal favorite recruit this cycle because of the juice he brings to the field. He kind of just, in a way, he reminds me, he's, he's a different player with different skill sets, but just like playmaker impact and juice that he brings to the field. He reminds me a lot like back in the day of Janoris Jenkins, um, who I saw a lot at the high school level at Pahokee and uh, various seven-on-seven -seven tournaments. Just kind of a dog that makes plays no matter where he lines up. Again, I don't know. Maybe you can shed some light on what Miami thinks of him in terms of player at the, yeah. uh, position at the college level, but like if he's a corner, awesome. If he's a receiver, awesome. Like to me, he's just like total stud. Get him in your program. Yeah. I, I mean, Miami, I think definitely views him as a wide receiver right now, but I mean, we talked about guys like Dallas Wilson and Jamie French, but like Vernell Brown is in that top category of guys that they, that they view at the wide receiver that they like, you know, that they want at the wide receiver position. I mean, Vernell Brown is a name that constantly, constantly comes up uh, when, when talking about wide receivers. So I mean, Miami definitely wants him. Uh, I think they're in the game. You know, I talked to Vernell Brown this weekend and Miami's definitely a school that he's, that he's kind of considering. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, and you know what I asked on Sunday, I asked one of the South Florida express guys, uh, you know, who, who who's the best player who's been your best player this weekend. I mean, no, no hesitation. Vernell Brown. I mean, okay, when I watched good. him play, when I watched him play, he made a, I think he broke up a pass on defense and then he just like flipped right back to the other side of the field, scores a touchdown. Vernell uh, yeah, Brown stud, is man. just an awesome football player. And he's a guy Miami offered over the summer during one of those team seven on seven tournaments at the school. Like he, it, Jones came to Miami uh, and played in a seven on seven tournament and like Vernell Brown, like just tore it up and Miami offered him right there. So uh, yeah, I mean, he's a guy that they've had plenty of exposure to and have had a ton of time to evaluate. They've sent Shannon Dawson to his school. They've sent Kevin Beard to the school. Uh, they, they, they've been, you know, very active at Orlando Jones trying to work on Vernell Brown. All right. So who, I, think he's who a, we, I think he's a Florida legacy too, by the way. So that's worth noting. Okay. So is that kind of like who, who's Miami battling? Do you think? Yeah, I think, I think Florida's, I think Florida's definitely in there. I mean, Florida state's in the mix there too. I think he, he said something about Ohio state, I believe. So, sure. uh, you know, I Express. think it's, yeah, exactly. I think, uh, I think it's a, a good chunk of, you know, those types of schools. I, I don't remember off the top right. of my head, every school he mentioned, but I think Florida is definitely a, 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 a strong factor and, I think Florida State, Ohio State were a few also other a few others that were in there. Miami too. Like he did talk of Miami. Some other some other guys I want to highlight. I'll just group them all together because they're all kind of corners. But you mentioned Onus Conabani. He's uh from South Carolina. He's playing for South Florida Express, yep. I believe. Um just has good length, aggressive player, good at the catch point of you know, breaking up some passes. He he could clean up some things with his technique. Um but a lot of potential there with Onus. Uh, Greg Zay Thomas, big-bodied corner, played for Software Express. He plays his high school ball at American Heritage. Um, personally, like I'm not saying this is a bad thing because I do think he can still play corner. 
But personally, just looking at his body type, I do wonder if he will just grow into being a safety uh, at the college level because he kind of has a wider hip type of build, but he is a big physical corner that held his own at corner in this tournament, did a good job. Um, and then Ben Hanks, who plays for the Miami Raw team, showed impressive coverage skills to me. He plays for Booker T. Washington down here uh, in South Florida and showed impressive coverage skills, was really kind of rarely thrown at when I was watching Miami Raw, which I think speaks to his coverage skills. He's just a lengthy guy, 6'1". He's, he's on the skinnier side. Um, so he might need a year to to kind of put on some good weight, but I do think he's a guy with some serious potential at corner. And I know all those guys too, right, are are on Miami's radar, right, Gabby? Yeah, all, all those guys are all those guys are on Miami's radar. I mean, Greg Zay Thomas is a guy that again spent time around the campus uh, on Saturday. Uh, ben Hanks is again. I mean, I thought he was really really long. I mean, I thought he was. I thought he. I, I think he just continues to get longer and longer and longer. Um, and Onus Bonnie is a guy who I, I think Miami made a, I mean, I think of just looking at the field of guys that, you know, made a move that Miami made a move with this weekend. I think Onus Bonnie's at the top of, of that list of guys. Okay. Uh, another receiver I want to highlight just quickly, Cortez Mills out of Homestead. He was playing with Miami raw smooth guy. He does get a nice release at the line of scrimmage. Um, pretty explosive coming off the line. And I did see him attack the ball pretty well on some 50 50 situations, which was, uh, encouraging. And, um, and, you know, uh, tight end, I want to touch on Lincoln cure out of, uh, Kansas. I know he's a big time target for Miami. Um, and, and he was very impressive out at this seven on seven event. He is, you know, there, there's, some guys where you can just identify like, yeah, he's going to be a pro. He's kind of one of those guys. Uh, just the way he moves, uh, the way he can make contested catches, which of course is a big deal at tight end because, uh, you know, very rarely tight ends can create significant separation against defenders like receivers can, but he can make those contested catches that you need at tight end. To me, he's kind of a flex tight end that is going to impact a passing game significantly so lincoln cure out of kansas really fun highlight to go watch too on on huddle if you guys want to pull that up um want to geek out to that just a random guy that kind of stood out to me uh you know i don't know how high up he necessarily is on miami's board again gabby touched on how miami's in the mix for a lot of linebackers in the southeast but one just random guy who I didn't know anything about, just uh, he impressed me though. Um, watching him out at seven at the seven on seven tournament is Abdul Sanders out of Modern Day High School in California. Uh, again, hard for a linebacker to catch your attention at these type of seven on seven events, but he does have a strong build. He moves very well. He did a nice job of covering up wheel routes with his athleticism. He would then flip over to offense at times and take some jump balls on some goal line situations. You could tell too, he's a competitor leader type in terms of personality. And then when you go watch his junior highlight uh, film checks up checks out there as well. So he's got a lot, a lot of offers from 
out West. He was just an intriguing player that caught my attention. Big time receiver that was out there Decorian Moore out of Texas. I think he's maybe the composite number two receiver behind Jamie French. Uh, currently committed to LSU, but man, freak show talent again, just an explosive guy. Uh, one of the, the interesting stories with Decorian coming out of the weekend. He, I think this was on Sunday. It was a two day event. And on Sunday, um, he probably, it, it looked like he twisted his ankle pretty bad and was, you know, limping off the field pretty bad, pretty gingerly took a couple series off. Then he started warming up again. Um, you know, when, when he twisted his ankle initially, a lot of us in the media kind of thought, oh, maybe he's done for the day. Uh, but he started warming up again. And then, boom, first series, he's out there. He takes a short crosser, probably 35 or 40 yards for a touchdown, outruns the defense to the pylon on the opposite side of the field. And that's freak show type stuff. Elite athlete and elite competitor is kind of what we learned there. Dijon Lee out of California. Again, not a guy that I think is necessarily like on Miami's radar, but just a guy that stood out at this event. He's 6'2", 6'3", type of corner. Uh, great size in terms of thickness already at this stage. Um, and he holds his own in main coverage for being a, a big guy. Competitive, and you go watch his film, it checks out. Gabby, you know, we talked about maybe the second quarterback that Miami's kind of been exploring. Husan Longstreet was out there. He's a six-foot-ish type of quarterback out of California. You know, didn't get to watch him all that much, but the little bit I did get to see of him, you could tell he's got a twitchy arm. He's got a big arm for his size. Um, I would say his throwing accuracy and touch kind of could improve a little bit. Um, but you watch his tape, his junior tape, and he's very athletic, really talented guy. I would say kind of, you know, if we're projecting him, um, he might be kind of like a Jordan Travis-ish type of player. And I would say maybe at the same stage, Hussan is further along as a passer than Jordan Travis was. So very intriguing kind of traitsy quarterback there out in California. Ten more good players out there that I'm sure I'm missing or just don't have time to list. But, you know, I can only watch so many guys. And um, so if I miss somebody that balled out, it's simply because I was unable to watch or just don't have the time to get into it here now. So um, let's touch on just one more quick recruiting idea, Gabby. And, uh, and then we'll go to some team stuff. So uh, class of 2024, right? The one that just signed. Um, the final rankings updates have come through from the various uh, recruiting uh, services. And, you know, these happen after the All-Star Games, right? So after Under Armour, after the All-American Bowl, after the Polynesian Bowl. And then, you know, these states have various All-Star Games too in December and January. So, uh, you know, a lot of these analysts are out there watching these guys compete against um, big-time athletes at these all-star events. And that's when you start to get the the, the latest tweaks um, to the rankings. And after those tweaks, Miami's class 
jumps up to number three in the country. So they were number four. Uh, some guys balled out at these all-star events, you know, notably, I would say Marquise Lightfoot, I would say Booker Pickett jumped a lot, um, for some services like Jordan Lyle, the running back signee made a significant jump. So Miami is now number three in the country in the 2024 class behind Georgia and Alabama. Miami now has three, five stars. All of those players are on the defensive line because Marquise Lightfoot has his fifth star, according to the composite, the industry-generated composite. And uh, again, seven top 100 composite players, which I think is tied for second most in the country. It is, again, still Miami's best class of the 24-7 sports era, which goes back to the 2011 cycle. Uh, best class in the ACC for the second straight year. Uh, again, that's never happened for Miami in the 24-7 sports era. Uh, previously, these these rankings from an ACC standpoint were dominated by Clemson and Florida State. And those, of course, were the top two dogs during this 24-7 sports era. Uh, in 2023, of course, we remember Miami signed the number seven class. Um, that year, Clemson was number two in the ACC at number 11, and Florida State signed the number 19 class in 2023. This cycle, this 2024 cycle, uh, Clemson still number 11, and Florida State number 12. So for two consecutive cycles, Miami is the only ACC school to sign top 10 classes. And, you know, this is all, all this is just to say, Mario Cristobal is, is, is establishing a talent gap amongst the rest of the conference. And look, it has to continue over a four-year stretch. And this is going to be year three in terms of full recruiting classes, right? You know, excluding the transition class. Uh, but this third full class, it, it's huge. They have to deliver and it's probably going to be, you know, dependent even more so on results on the field because it will be year three of the Mario Cristobal era. And if Miami does do that, they will once again land a top five class. I think that's fair to say in 2025. So things are trending in the right direction. You know, the ingredients are there to, uh, to deliver a, a, a product that can compete at the highest level. They just now have to go execute it. I don't know if you have any final thoughts on this 2024 rankings update, Gabby. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a big deal. I mean, I think, you know, I think it's the first time that Miami signed three, five stars, right. In the 24 yep. seven sports era. Uh, having all three of those guys on the defensive line. And it just goes back to just look at the end of the day. I mean, these the guys are just recruit. Good. Yeah. The staff can recruit, man. And, you know, again, I, and I would ca just maybe just caution everyone as we're here entering February that I mean, I don't particularly know when things kind of go start picking up, but just, you well, know, just I, think back to last, to right, this 24 just think cycle. Back, exactly. When that's did what it get going? Like yeah, it was late September. I don't yeah, even know. It was probably October. later. It's yeah. like October, November, maybe it was Justin Scott that it really, I feel like kind of got the ball kind of rolling again, right? Like it was kind of right. slow for a little bit. Justin Scott kind of picked it back up, Um, you know, just, just kind of hang in there, you know, again, these, the, it's a marathon, you know, the recruiting cycle is a marathon, Uh, you know, you got to kind of take it in, in, in stride. And, uh, you know, I think look, Miami's going to put together another really strong class and, and, and they've proven that already. So, you know, just, just, I'm, I'm excited. I'm honestly excited about this 25 class. I think this 25 class has some like, kind of crazy potential uh just considering the guys that are already 
involved with and i think it's because they've kind of given themselves an opportunity to be kind of a class ahead with recruiting they're not playing catch-up anymore now they're able to kind of get ahead they're at a point where they're recruiting forward and so i think when once the, the calendar flips they're already in such a good spot so i i think you know again a huge class awesome class i mean three top defensive linemen like that. I mean, it's just, it's massive. And, you know, again, the rest of the group is really, really good too. And I'm just honestly kind of, you know, the more I kind of dive into this 2025 class, uh, the more excited I am about what this class could potentially look like. So uh, eager to to get this one rolling. All right, let's touch on some themes with the team. Uh, number one, running backs coach Tim Harris is going back to UCF. He is taking the offensive coordinator job at UCF, which means Miami needs to go fill a running backs coach uh, position. And look, I I don't know if we have names, Gabby. I don't think we really do yet. Um, But we can talk about what type or profile of coach would fit best at Miami. And I know for me, you know, I I think the best fit would be just a young, hungry, hardworking guy. And I'm not saying like Tim Harris isn't that. I think he is that. but you look at, um, you know, Mario Cristobal's first staff from a coordinator level, and how it was flashy hires with Josh Gaddis and Kevin Steele didn't work. And the next year, Mario brought in guy, you know, lesser known guys like Shannon Dave, Shannon Dawson, and Lance Gidry, and the results improved, and it just looked better too. Um, and look, I I think to me the most important thing with with a running backs coach is to be a relentless recruiter. Um, and personally, like, I think this is easier said than done, but I look at a guy like Derek Nicholson, right? Who's the linebackers coach. Uh, to me, he's been a tremendous hire in that role. And again, I know this is easier said than done, but if I'm Miami, if I'm Mario Cristobal, I'm trying to go find the D Nick of running backs coaches. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I think Miami needs to do. And I think, look, running back is, 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 I feel like it's one of those positions that, I mean, obviously you need to coach the position, but it's a talent acquisition position. Like you need to, yeah. like you need to get the best, like the best players will be the, like the best high school running backs are typically the best college running backs. Like you need to get really good players at running back. And those guys will just continue as long as you, you know, of course you bring them along, they get bigger, faster, stronger, all that fun stuff. But just, just get me a guy that can acquire talent at a high level. Get me a dude, that, a guy that can recruit, uh, get me a guy that's going to get me the best available running backs that you can that you can find. So, you know, that that fits the category of a, you know, young, hungry recruiter type or guy that, you know, has, you know, just been productive with running back rooms, but could also recruit at a high level. Again, I don't know if there's particularly names to share, but, you know, someone with kind of the, I do agree, like someone with that. I mean. Derek Nicholson's a like relentless recruiter. Like he's not an organic, right. like Mario Cristobal recruiting staffer, but he's a guy that fits that he, he's a guy that, that can hang he's about with, that life. Yeah. In the words of David Lake, he's, he's absolutely about that life. We need to find out. We need to find a guy who's about that life. And, uh, you know, I think that there are obviously of course options out there and I think Miami will find someone, uh, but you need to get a guy who's going to take that kind of, approach to be that guy who's going to be willing to go out and recruit and and put in the work that you know a Mario Cristobal demands from a guy like that at a position of of need look this running back room still has I think a long way to go I think internally it's viewed as a room that has a long way to go I think that there's still so much recruiting that needs to be done at this position before it's at a place that you would ideally like it to be at uh so I think you need to get a guy that can just recruit and 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 loves it it can go it can go get a 
Go get it, dude. Yeah. And, and look, I don't think I'm saying anything that's like shocking, but working for Mario Cristobal is not easy because he demands a lot in recruiting. And so there's probably a two or three year shelf life for the majority of these assistants. And, uh, you know, if you're an assistant looking at Miami, you should look at that as an opportunity to level up your career. Use Miami as a stepping stone, right? I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that's what Mario Cristobal would want. And so uh, it's a big opportunity both ways. Um, all right, let's move on to schedule thoughts, right? A week ago, the ACC released the schedules for the 2024 season of all its schools. And uh, again, we, we don't need to get into the specifics of the schedule. as It was released a week ago. And so if you're listening to this and, and you're not already somewhat familiar with the schedule, go Google it. Um, we don't need to run through it week by week. But I, I still want to have a discussion about it, Gabby. And we'll just start here. You know, overall thoughts on the schedule, you know, manageable, tough, easy. Just how did this schedule hit you when it was first released? Yeah, to me, I I, I mean, manageable is the word that kind of comes to mind. Uh, you know, I think just year over year, like I, I think the 2023 schedule is probably, you know, tougher in, you know, however you want to look, however you want to kind of take that, then maybe this one is, I think this one plays out. Uh, I don't want to say it's easy because you're playing a bunch of power five. I mean, it's yeah, never power easy. Power five have, is never easy. Right. You have enough, you have an SEC school on the schedule. You have, you know, tough road games. You have to play Florida state, you know, just like, and, and you know, and at the end of the day, I don't think Miami as a program or just me as someone right. who covers Miami should ever call a Miami schedule easy because every year they lose games that we quote unquote think that they should, that we, they lose games that we think that they should win. So who knows right. what, how this thing plays out, but I think it's manageable. And I like I like the setup of it. I think it's very beneficial just the way it's kind of stacked and, you know, it has its, you know, tough windows and obviously some, some hurdles you're going to have to climb. But I think overall, if you're Miami, like, like I'm looking at the schedule and I'm just like, we'll get into this later, but this, this, this needs to be a year. Like I think we talked about it on the last podcast. Is, is this a, 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 is this a go all in year? Like I look at the schedule and I say, go all in, like just, yeah, just, just go all in because I think it's a schedule that you can maneuver. I think it's a schedule that you can work through. I think it ultimately, again, big picture wise, when we're talking power five scheduling, I mean, this is, it, it, it could be a lot worse. So I like the way that the schedule plays out for Miami. And again, manageable is, is the word that definitely comes to mind. I agree with manageable um you know outside of miami right if we're talking about acc teams there are i would say four teams that really truly care about football in the acc in terms of like devoting legit resources to the football program uh again this is outside of miami so miami would be in this group but florida state is one of those teams clemson one of those teams I would say North Carolina is one of those teams. And I would honestly, I would probably put Louisville there too. Yeah. So those four programs really care about football uh, that Miami could be playing, right? And Miami's playing two of those programs in 2024 in Florida State and Louisville. Then there's kind of like that next tier of like, yeah, these ACC teams kind of care about football, but they might not have the resources to throw in like those other programs. And that would be like, NC State, to me, Virginia Tech, I would say Pittsburgh. And look, I think maybe SMU, they're, they're definitely putting in some resources. They're new For to sure. the conference, but they're 
they seem to be all in in terms of resources at their level. And so of these, uh, what, eight teams, um, Miami avoids five of them. Miami avoids Clemson. Miami avoids North Carolina. Miami avoids NC State. Miami avoids Pittsburgh and SMU. So, um, again, it's manageable. If if I was to ask you, Gabby, too, just from the standpoint of the the best team, who like if we're just power rating these teams, who would you say is the best team that Miami has on its schedule in 2024? Yeah, I mean, I would probably, I mean, I would probably say Florida State. I would too, but I, I, I would too. I, I, but I do think it's it's close, right? It's not like For a sure. clear cut, like oh, yeah, this no, is no. a dominant program. Uh-uh. Um, but yeah, I would probably say Florida State. I would, you know, maybe Louisville's up there too. Um, but again, they're they're not facing Miami is not facing like uh, an Alabama or mm. an LSU or you know if we're looking back to last year, last year's Florida State team uh, was very good. Right. Uh, you know, this year's Florida State team is not that level of a Florida State team, so it's a manageable schedule. And look, when when we look at like just important, you know, how a schedule lays out is also important in college football particularly when you look at just the the way this schedule lays out gabby what is the most important stretch to you on the schedule wherever you want to start that stretch and finish it yeah i mean to me it's just the month of october like i think i look at the month of october and i say it's kind of like the it's kind of like the november of 2023 right like i like november last november we were looking at that as such a monumental stretch to me we're getting that we're getting that in october with uh you know you get your first a cross country trip uh right. to, to Cal so you go to you go to Berkeley to play at Cal you get a bye week which you know is nice but has been historically terrible for Recently. Miami yeah right and uh recent recent history has it's been terrible and then you go to Louisville so coming off of the bye you're going to Louisville who is in that argument right of, of teams that might be the most talented i mean we'll see how this mass portal a right. thing works out for we'll them in year two. Out. Like, yeah, we'll see yeah. how it goes. It seems like it's going to be good. I think they did a good job at the portal, David. Um, too. And so I think Louisville will, will be good again. And so you off of a bye week, you have to flip flip it around, get back on the road, go to Louisville, who's going to be a tough team. And again, and then just after that, depending on how, you know, the, those three weeks of travel with a bye week in between, and then you got, you know, obviously your, your big in-state rival in Florida State. So to me, that, that month of October is just... You know, that's where you're, that's where I'm circling and I'm saying, you know, Miami needs to be Miami needs to have a successful October. It's it's going to be so, so massive because then November is, you know, I think November again, to use the word manageable again. But I mean, you get Duke uh, at Georgia Tech, a, a second bye week, Wake Forest at Syracuse. So, I mean, I think that's just a, those are four games that I feel like Miami should find, you know, success in for the yes. most part. Uh, but I think that October, if you can if you can. If you can get through October, if you can handle business in October, I mean, we're talking. We I, we could be having some really fun discussions come come November, assuming again things continue to go well. Yes, I agree with that assessment. Is there a game, or what would you say? Which game maybe concerns you the most on the schedule? 
Yeah, I would say the game that concerns me maybe the most is probably that Louisville after the bye, uh, just because of again what's that what that's just looked like over the past few Which years. Which is wild, right? Because yeah. normally bye weeks are good things. Yeah, we would be looking like, oh but... yeah, we got a bye week before we go to Louisville, and I'm sitting here like, oh crap, like we got a bye week before yeah. we go to Louisville. Um, again, but I, I they're think also that's... a talented team. So for sure, it's, it's a good team. Know. Yeah, I mean that's that that's just a hard that's just a hard game on the schedule. Um, yeah. that's just a hard game on the schedule. So that, I mean that's one. And again, I think that's just a big one because again, Cal. I mean, it probably will probably... be a prime time game. Like, yes, probably. it seems like it seems like it it has potential to be, depending on how both teams are performing. But yeah, I mean, that's that's a big game that's going to have a lot of eyes on it. I'm sure it'll have conference implications depending on where things are at. You know, early season conference implications for me. And again, this isn't like a new part of the schedule release because it. We we already knew what the non-conference was uh, before the ACC scheduled. But to me, the game that concerns me most, honestly, is the season opener against Florida. I think, you know, look, on paper, Miami is the better team. Florida is a bit of a disaster at this stage of the Billy Napier era in terms of their trajectory and where things are going. You know, Napier is viewed as a lame duck coach going into this season and, and I think it's it's fair to say he will likely get fired at some point during the season. But this Miami game is a huge opportunity for him and his regime, and he can make a significant statement by beating an in-state rival. Uh, and look, again, I do think Miami is the better team on paper. I don't, but I don't necessarily think like Miami's roster is like overwhelmingly better than Florida, if that makes sense. Um, there is also just that first game of the season factor that, you know, when, when two power five teams face each other that are, you know, each have their strengths and weaknesses, you know, generally speaking, both those teams will play tight and play not to lose uh, until they get their feet under them and they know what they are and they know their identity for the 2024 season. Again, there's no, obviously there's no preseason games in college football. So you got to kind of work things out during the first month of the season. And so that somewhat has me a little uneasy, you know, opening against a team like Florida. There's also just that swamp factor that cannot be ignored. This will be the toughest road environment Miami will face this season. And, you know, look, that place can make an impact on a game. Look at, Florida against Tennessee last year, I think, when that place was rocking. Tennessee kind of looked shook. Uh, you know, the environment definitely had an impact there. Uh, you know, look, I do think Miami should win this game, but I do think it's going to be a competitive game, and it is going to be massively important for both programs, for being honest, but from a Miami perspective, it's massively important for setting up a successful 2024 season. I'd much rather play this Florida team like in November when the wheels come off and, yep. you know, things are kind of shaky with that program. Uh, but Miami's playing them game one uh, when they will still be a program that has hope and purpose and belief. And that, you know, has me a little bit, concern like i feel like i'm more concerned about this florida game than the average miami fan but uh again i do think miami's a better team it's just it's i think it's gonna be more competitive than like the average miami fan in january recognizes yeah so i mean 
because you on the right, you know, in the in the you know the outline, it was tough. What was your toughest game on the schedule? What game concerns you? I I went Louisville for the game that concerns me, but toughest game on the schedule, I wrote Florida, and it's just Florida also Florida has like the toughest schedule in the country, right? Like I mean, like their their schedule is absolutely insane. Um, but you talk about it, it's season, it's a season opener. So like, mm-hmm. I feel like for Florida in a lot of ways, they're like, if you're Billy Napier, like you have to win that Miami opener, right? Like if you're looking at Florida's schedule, like from a Florida standpoint, yeah. like you're looking at my, that Miami game, it's like you have, if you don't win that Miami game, I mean, it's, it's, I feel like the whole thing's cooked, right? Like, like you, you got it. Cause it's only going to get, it's only going downhill from there. Like it's, it, I mean, you got Texas and LSU and I mean, I mean, literally, I mean, the, 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 the SEC schedule that Florida has is is absolutely brutal. If he like, loses against w- Miami, he's probably cooked eventually. Right. Like, yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, that, if he loses against Miami, that could be like a you know three four win team. You know, like it could get yeah. really ugly. Um, so I feel like from a floor from a floor. I mean, of course, there's going to be a high sense of urgency on both sides. But for Florida, yeah, like and to they, be fair, like Miami is approaching it the same way. Like they know sure. they have to go beat Florida. A hundred percent, hundred percent. So yeah, I mean, I think. And and again, like if it's November and Florida's gone through the gauntlet already, and like you're kind of like running into them up at that point, it's like yeah, give me Florida. But like first game of the season, Florida in the swamp, Gainesville. That, that that's that's a tough. It's just a little tricky thing to navigate for and, sure. But you know, Miami and, has the roster to do it. They just no got to go do it. No doubt. And Florida's, I think you know, Florida too has been. You know, they've played these big like week one games. I mean, yeah, they had, like two had years Utah. ago, they beat Utah at home. Yeah, you know, at the swamp. I should right. say last and, year, Utah wrecked him. Yeah. Uh, kind of, <laughs> but, but Florida won the game in the swamp. Yeah. So. And those have been competitive. I mean, kind of competitive games. I mean, they, they've, they've, uh, Florida's, you know, had these big week one games. So yeah, I mean, I think for Miami, this is, uh, I think it's a very tough game. I mean, I don't think Florida's raw. I don't think Florida is particularly anything super special or anything like that, but I still think that this is a very, very tough game just because it's week one, fresh slate. It's go get after it. And, you know, it doesn't matter that they're playing Texas in week six because, you know, it's just they're they're at that point right now where there's everyone's kind of on board. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's I think Florida, that Florida game is, is definitely t- going to be tough. All right. And, and a game that is being overlooked that shouldn't be overlooked for me, like. I don't know, maybe I have some unwarranted PTSD from last year's loss to Georgia Tech, but to me, like. The Virginia Tech Friday night game. That's what I wrote. Before you travel to Cal, kind of gives me similar-ish vibes. Uh, it's like like the Georgia Tech game. It's the first ACC game. Uh, the Friday night factor is just you know something different. Um, and, and look, Virginia Tech is coming into the season with some momentum, kind of like how Georgia Tech did a little bit last year. You know when they. Uh, you know, took the interim tag off Brent Key. He he kind of won some games there as an interim coach and uh, ended up getting the job. Um, Brent Pry at Virginia Tech kind of took a step forward here in year two, I think, of his um, tenure at Virginia Tech. They went five and two, I believe, in their last seven games in 2023. And it's just one of those sleepy type of games like Georgia Tech was last year, where if Miami's going to play sloppy, um, they could get popped. So in terms of a game that could be overlooked a little bit, I have that Virginia Tech game circled. Yeah, to me, I mean, Virginia Tech, I think that's the one I wrote down. But, you know, I think, you know, going to USF, like at, uh, you know, G5 school, I guess, um, is always, you know, always kind of, you know, iffy. 
Um, you know, Alabama went to USF last year and struggled. Right. You know, that's they have a good court. They have a good quarterback in the Bynum kid uh, who's coming, who's coming back, returning Alex Golesh, you know, ran those uh, potent Tennessee offenses that had, uh, you know, Henry right. Hooker. Uh, so he's an offensive minded guy who does. I think he's going into year. I guess this is year two now, right? Yep. Um, they had a good year last year. I mean, yeah, I yeah. Don't, they, they were a pretty solid G five school. I mean, I saw something a little while ago, you know, just expand, you know, the 12 team playoff and like, I guess a top G five team will get in. And like USF was like the projected G five represent. Really? Rep, yeah. I think it that was like, a, I think it was like a, I forgot which I, it might've been 247 actually that, that posted, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but someone had USF in like this projected 12 team playoff as like the G five represent representation. Uh, yeah, I mean, so look, I mean, USF, maybe they can sneak up on people. I mean, I, I don't particularly love the fact that you have to go over there. Um, and yeah, you know, I think that's a, I think that could be one too. Think about USF, that's interesting. They have to play at Bama this year, so they could get beat up pretty bad in that game, um, just from a physical standpoint, injury standpoint. And Virginia Tech, the week before they play Miami, they play the vaunted Rutgers Scarlet Knights, who, Oof. as we know, brings a physical element as well. So um, we'll see. Miami, And at the end of the day, Miami just has to handle business like they should. Um, but still, we haven't seen them quite do that yet to this point. All right, let's, let's get out of here on this, Gabby. Way too early expectations for the regular season in 2024. Where do you want to put this? I don't want to go like game by game, win loss yeah. predictions at this point, but like at where, what would you project for a season regular season record? Where are you at with it right now? Yeah. I mean, I just think this needs to be the year that Miami kind of climbs that like gets over that hump. And, you know, I, I don't, again, I don't know what it would look like, but I'm not saying this is exactly what it's going to be, but I feel like Miami should be a, uh, you know, 10 and two type of team this year. I think that this is a year that they should go all in, try to, you know, be as competitive as you can, especially with that playoff expanding to 12. And look, I look at the schedule and I, and I don't see a reason why Miami can't win 10 games. You know, I think that this is a, mm -hmm. a 10 win type of schedule, uh, especially I think Miami will continue to do work to improve the roster in the spring and during that spring window. And, uh, you know, again, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, um, you know, but I do feel like with where Miami is, with the quarterback, with everything else that they kind of have coming back, the staff kind of continuity that we know of so far, at least right now, um, uh, for the most part, uh, I think that this should be a 10-win Miami team. So that that's what I'm looking for, uh, you know, when I kind of look up, look up and down this 2024 schedule. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, when I look at this schedule, just big picture, January, from, from that standpoint, you know, I, I think Miami should overwhelm six opponents on the schedule, FAMU, Ball State, USF, Duke, Wake Forest, Syracuse. So that's six wins there. Um, I think there's four games that offer competitive win opportunities. So that's like Florida, Virginia Tech. I would put Cal there. I would put, so at Cal, I would put at Georgia Tech there. The question is, can Miami win four of the, all four of those games? Can, do they win three of the four, two of the four? And then there's kind of like toss-up games where, you know, at Louisville, kind of a toss-up game. And then hosting Florida State, kind of a toss-up game. So what does Miami do there? Do they split them? Do they win both? Do they lose both? Look, I don't think there's an opponent on this schedule that Miami cannot beat. So that is encouraging. To me, Gabby, I think 
I'm with you that Miami should go 10 and 2. But if I'm predicting, I would probably predict 9 and 3 just because, you know, so far the first two years, Miami's underachieved. And so I need to see otherwise before I predict what they should do. Um, so I'm going to go 9 and 3, which I think is still a good year, still levels up the program. And 2025 has kind of always been the year that they've circled internally as like, okay, time to go legitimately compete for championships. Um, so anyways, nine and three. Look, if they go out and add some players in the spring portal window too, I probably would at bump this up to 10 wins. But uh, bottom line is it's a manageable schedule. You know, I could see even 11 wins if everything comes together and they really kill it in the spring portal window. So um I think it's going to be a fun year to follow Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting. We'll get out of here on that again. We're looking for new sponsors. So uh, reach out to us, wherever that may be. Gabby on Twitter, email me, lake.david at gmail.com. Appreciate everyone for listening. And until next time, take care. Take care.